so to continue, some of you, some of you may be thinking, having evil thoughts. And those evil thoughts may be, this is very high meditation. How am I ever going to do it? Why, why should I start here like this? And it's, ah, Tom. Well, now that we've finished up, Tom, <laughs> the secret teaching of how bodhisattvas breathe. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I somehow doubt that. But anyways. Uh, so you may be asking, well, wait a minute, this is very high. This is uh, teachings on how to be a bodhisattva, what the state is, and so on. But um, even if you can't do this all the time, it's very important to, to have the ego, the healthy ego that says, actually, I can do this, I can practice this, and by practicing it, I will arrive in this natural state much faster than negatively saying, it's too much for me, and I need something very for myself. And, and yes, many of us need that. You, you all have different things that you're doing. But to hear a very high view and high meditation safeguard you for years from not knowing what the tradition is really teaching. Do you understand? That's really important. It's really important to have transmissions of what the teaching is taught for thousands of years as genuine. Not to say you're not doing genuine, but it safeguards from having a very narrow view of what dharma or meditation is really on about. So because all of us have this intrinsic Buddha nature and bodhisattva nature, it, even if you get a hint of it once in a day, you get a glimmer. It should tell you that you could actually make it all day. It's like hitting a note with a cello or a clarinet or the flute and you go, oh my god, that was beautiful. That means you can do it again and again and again. And actually, most of us are engaging in some form of bodhisattva conduct in the day, because you're all really good beings in this room. It's a matter of amplifying it until it becomes very natural, and you start to see what's possible. OK, and then um, Amisha asked if he could ask a question. And I said, yes, a very good one, so I'll try to make it very short. But if you could ask the question, Misha. Um, yeah. The text talks a lot about mind, and I was wondering if you could explain the difference between ordinary mind, as we may have heard of it, the qualities of mind that they're referring to in the text. Okay. So this is a very short answer, but whole treatises uh, of some of the greatest masters have written books on this one question alone. Mind and mind. What do we mean by mind? And there's, it's a very deep, important, meditative, and philosophical question. The word mind can be ordinary mind of states and experiencing uh, object and subject. That's the conceptual mind. And it has actual technical words like vijnana or in, in Pali, vijnana. Okay? In, in Tibetan, the word sems, S-E-M-S. It's actually just pronounced sem, sem. Ordinary mind that is sensing and, and having a dialogue, it doesn't have to be a conscious dialogue, about subject, object. How am I? How are you? Where am I? Where am I going? Who am I? What am I? And so on, endlessly all day long. But we can function quite well that way in samsara. The other word for mind, rigpa, is mind free of conceptual taints that is a fraction of Buddha nature. It's like, it's like getting um, a big piece of cheese and you get a tiny fraction of the cheese and you get to taste the cheese like, or, or like sipping of the ocean and you get a feeling for what it would be like to be in the ocean. Okay, that's called rigpa. Um, so the stainless mind, which, which is called in Sanskrit amala vijnana, the stainless mind of absolute natural purity, is always there, but hidden by countless subject-object moments 
which cloud it over, but you get so used to it, you think that's your mind or that's your awareness. So we make a distinction between ordinary awareness, which by the way, can be very bright, lucid, clear, uh, loving, compassionate, all these wonderful states, but it's not primordial awakeness, which is even free of the concept of love, compassion, and even liberation. It's not even found in there. But it manifests the forms and the capacity of that liberated uh, awakeness. It has the quality of spontaneity. It has the quality of liberating upon contact. It's like contact cement. As soon as the contact cement works or sticky glue or super glue works, it sticks. Liberation sticks. It has no obstructions and yet what it does is it liberates. That's the hallmark of it. Not cool? The hallmark is whatever the awake mind comes in contact with liberates a fraction, a, a tiny bit. So we really need to know the difference between ordinary states and liberated states and how to identify them, like being on a safari where you can identify creatures that are very hard to know or see and you get to know the taxonomy. Then you look for that which is uh, unmistakable uh, purity, free of concepts. So first of all, we train, then we train in relaxation. It doesn't usually work the other way around, although we teach both. You train to relax the conceptual mind, but actually the tradition is you don't do it that direction. You train in understanding the differences and the labels correctly. Then you, that's called meditative training and Dharma training. Then you learn to relax and unbind and identify the untainted non-conceptual mind. That's the normal, that's the actual classic order. Today, a lot of what's being taught is the other way around. And therefore, people are trying to do practices that are very hard because they actually um, don't know really what they're looking for. Hmm? It's like being on a safari and, and, and not having um, the training or the, gui the, 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 the guide in your ear to know what to actually look for. And so, so let me give you another one more metaphor, which is very close to it. We're not only looking for the animal in the safari, but we're going to learn where the animal's environment is mostly located. And once you know the environment, you can return to that environment over and over again with a very high probability of finding the animal. The animal is shunyata or emptiness. Did you see? But if you don't know the environment which is found, you're, you're, you're in a conceptual construction. Okay? Okay, I, I, could, I could go on for days on that, but I'm going to stop there. Oh, oh, photo op. So I want to read to you this beautiful... Um, this beautiful uh, 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 poem on giving and taking, on the, the breathing of a bodhisattva. And Shabkar says, my student Lobsang Gelek then said, merely through hearing your profound oral instructions on ultimate bodhicitta, the verse I've just read, my awareness has become lucid and spacious. I feel this to be uh, a genuine experience of insight for which I'm extremely grateful. Kindly now grant an instruction for the practice of precious relative bodhicitta to be used once meditative equipose is concluded. And I'll get into that. Then he says, Shabkar says, Ema, which means how wonderful, fortunate child of lineage, indivisible awareness, clarity, and emptiness is ultimate bodhicitta, free from all elaborations. So there's a beautiful definition for you. Just remember that. Ultimate bodhicitta is aware, indivisible awareness, clarity. Clarity is luminosity, wakefulness, and emptiness, free from all elaboration. 
meditate on this boundless, empty lucidity. Thereafter, understand, this is Tonglen, by the way. This is condensed, direct heart teaching of Tonglen without all the details. Thereafter, understand that confusion concerning this natural state is ignorance. Ignorance gives rise to afflictive emotions, which give rise to negative action, causing unpleasant rebirth, leading to immeasurable sufferings of samsara, even in this lifetime. Suffering sentient beings, all who have been without any exception, have been parents to you, have shown you exceptional kindness, continually suffer these miseries. Develop empathy and compassion for them, resolve to end their suffering and place them in bliss, and to this end practice giving and taking, utilizing the breath. When you inhale, take all being suffering, <clears throat> negative karma, negative activity, and emotion into yourself in the form of black smoke. Once it is entered inside, imagine that it dissolves into your heart and puts an end to any notion of self-grasping. Considering the suffering, the negative uh, action, and emotions of all parent beings to be completely gone, vanished. When you exhale, give the entirety of your happiness and virtue to all beings in the form <clears throat> of white smoke. It enters their bodies and they become pervaded with physical and mental bliss. Imagine they become blessed and imbued with temporal happiness that ultimately they will become awakened to Buddhahood. So this is the training. Okay? And this is called relative bodhicitta because you're not, uh, you're coming first of all from the view of absolute bodhicitta, but it's relative because it's a practice that is slightly contrived. Do you understand? Slightly contrived. But it's the practice, uh, main practice of bodhisattva activity. And there's many variations uh, on this. The twofold bodhicitta has the ability to transform the suffering taken from others and turn it into bliss, just as the stomach of a peacock has the ability to digest poison and transform it into a nutrient. And then he gives many examples. So if you turn uh, to the first page of the handouts, the first thing is to sit up straight which the, the teacher isn't doing. Although if I sit like this, I am, but on an angle. So the most important, one of the most important things is to make sure that you can breathe. Uh, this is a breathing meditation, uh, and it's important that your, di your diaphragm and your belly is open so it can fall, and it can fall naturally and open. So undo your belt and let go of the belly. The belly is called the wisdom center. There's a reason for it. It's your second brain. The brain of the belly doesn't think conceptually. It thinks uh, by feeling. Okay? And it's connected to this, and it's connected to this, and it's connected to this, and it's connected to the genitals. If this isn't open, you don't have wisdom fire. You don't have the openness. So this order of practice is really an excellent ancient order by which you practice the uh, taking and sending uh, on the breath. So we've done all the components except for a few. So let's go through them, and then we're going to practice. First of all, we generate bodhicitta. So whatever tradition you come from, you are going to have a profound bodhicitta contemplation prayer. In the Gampo Yangzab, we started with that. May all sentient beings, samsara, be free from suffering, be joyful and truly abide in supreme happiness, and so on. 
everything is in there and the more you recite it and the more you understand it, the deeper it gets and it contains everything in there. That's where you start because you're starting from the perspective of relative and absolute bodhicitta. We breathe all day, we may as well breathe bodhicitta. We may as well breathe in and do the work anyways since we're breathing, right? So not only are breathing for our own mental settling and concentration, now we're elevating meditation on breath to a bodhisattva practice. The next thing we do is we take refuge at least in the three roots. We take refuge uh, in the Buddha or Buddha nature. We take refuge in all the Dharma teachings that, that are teachings of liberation. Uh, and we take refuge in those beings uh, who we can seek guidance because they've experienced the transcendental uh, or uh, Rigpa. And uh, so once we've done that, we then uh, contemplate the four common foundations. And I've made an excerpt here from the Drikang uh, lineage uh, practice. Uh, you can, every uh, Tibetan tradition will have these four common foundations. The translation of four common, four common foundations is incorrect. I use it, but remember it's a short form. It's the four thoughts that turn the mind from samsara. These are as high as high as can be. So uh, we, we review those. And then it's important that we're going to use our guru. Now, it doesn't sound kind of right to do this, but we're going to use our teacher as the means to remove the suffering of other beings as a principle by which we uh, can purify and send out um, a great uh, wisdom. So if you don't have a root teacher, then imagine a, uh, a beautiful radiant golden Buddha figure above your head, which, which symbolizes complete liberation on a lotus moon seat. And when you uh, see that and you, you feel this is liberation, this is complete liberation, or your teacher, have them descend uh, into you and reside in a pavilion of light uh, in your heart. And there's different sayings. Here's one that Jaman Contra wrote. I pray for your blessing, my guru, great and completely worthy spiritual friend. I pray that you will cause love, compassion, bodhicitta to arise in my mind. That is the aspiration. I want what you have, what you've realized, to arise in my mind stream as a genuine experience. And then you see this uh, teacher or this uh, awakened being residing in your heart center in a pavilion of light like in an open shell. Then we practice uh, focusing on the breath 21 times. And the way this is done is we breathe in by feeling the breath at the nose. If you can do that, over time you will, if you don't do it right now. And you want to follow the sensation of the breath right into the belly, that's important, but not artificially push it in. Just let it sink in and sit, okay? So let's try this a few times, because we're gonna, I wanna focus more on the, uh, on the uh, giving and, and uh, um, the uh, taking and, and um, sending. So the way this is done is focusing on the nostril and feeling the breath come in and letting it rest in the belly for naturally however it wants to rest by letting the belly fall. Don't push it, just let it fall. And when it's ready, uh, bring the belly in a little bit and let the, the exhale, feel the exhale of the breath. So by doing that, you uh, scientifically, you relax the vagus nerve and all kinds of other things. And it usually puts you after 21 times into a very calm, lucid state. Sometimes we practice this all day long. It's an excellent practice. Let's practice this for, for a minute or so, and then we'll move to the next step.
Okay, let's move to the next one. Now that you are in a very lucid, calm, clear uh, quality of mind, uh, then we go and we, as Vipassana with support, regard all phenomena experienced inner and outer as dreamlike. So we want to have our eyes open and we want to be able to see all of this just like as if we're in a dream, which we are, because it's still all mentally fabricated. And we want to see it like a magician's show. It's all appearing in a theater of the mind, to use Daniel Dennett's term. Actually, it's an earlier term, but to use what often Daniel Dennett said, great, great cognitive psychologist, uh, like a theater of the mind, all this is appearing and disappearing, like rainbows, like dewdrops, like images in a mirror. So we want to have our eyes open and really feel this is dreamlike. Our speech is dreamlike, our actions, everything is, is appearing like in a mirror. So we do that for a while. And any thoughts as well, anything inner. And then we have Vipassana without support. We want to come to the place, that poem by Shabkar, which is everything is this pristine awareness, this mind which doesn't come or go, this lucid mind which is unborn and actually is free of any state. So even though there is a dreamlike appearance happening in a theater, we want to experience the theater, not the actors in the theater. We want to experience the unborn space of the stage. Try that. Imagine you're looking at a stage and there's actors and there's sets, but in that is this space that is luminous and open that is an unchanging nature. And then letting the antidote, letting any kind of elaboration to subside naturally, let itself liberate. So all the forms and mental emotion, whatever we have, we actually see it uh, as this empty nature, the same nature as mind, and it liberates upon recognition that it has no substantial nature. This can take some time. One way to practice this is to emanate in your mind feelings, sensations, delusions. You can try all kinds of things. So let's try it together. In this beautiful space of the theater, let us, let us emanate love for all sentient beings as an antidote and actually see its empty nature. So let's emanate. Let's, let's try to produce a state of love and compassion and see that it actually has no substantiality. Listen to the sound and you'll see and experience the sound is no different than the space of the theater. So this is how we practice.
And then once we've done that, we rest in the nature of all the bases of everything. Just rest in the natural state. Breathe in and out in this natural open space of the theater. Uncontrived, unelaborated, as if you're uh, uh, both on the stage, off the stage. Things are happening, but actually it's... It's like transparent. And from that perspective, you consider sentient beings. You may pick a few, senti a few people that you know that are close to you, like relatives or family members that are sick or ill or having a difficult time. Or uh, you can go globally, but it's better to practice at the beginning with um, uh, family members or uh, people that you know or you like or dislike and you feel this beautiful compassion and love for them all. And then you begin the, uh, the taking and sending. So you take in the suffering states, the feel the suffering states as black smoke or black light. And you breathe that in to the uh, guru or the awakened being uh, in your heart center. And you see it actually dissolve away into absolutely stainless purity of non-grasping, unborn nature. So uh, on the in-breath, see it dissolve and get to the point where the mind lets go of any grasping of good or bad or wrong or right. And the suffering is no longer suffering. It's luminous awareness, emptiness. And you rest in that with the in-breath in the heart. And when it's ready, that happiness and that joy that you have of being in, an, in, a, in a great open nature is now breathed as white light through your breath, through your pores, and it, it enters into those and the environment that the beings or being are in, and you see it as a, a completely enlightened realm and those beings are um, um, awakened. So this is how we practice. And let's do that for the next 10-15 um, uh, minutes and get used to a very natural, but you have to do it to the point where you experience the dissolution of the black light into an open, empty lucidity that's a really joyous state unbound by concepts and breathe that out as, as white light for the benefit of beings.
and uh, now a dedication of merit. So let us finish with dedicating all the good activity that we've done uh, for the liberation and awakening of all sentient beings. You have the, if you have the dedication aspiration of the Angzeb, you can say it along with me. This is one of the fullest dedication aspirations I've ever found. I like it because it, it covers everything. Namo. Bhagawan Sugata's the ten directions the three times. Guru's day was three jewels. All of victors may have gains of dust in the field. All of you please listen and pay heed to me. From now on as much virtue as the virtues acts performed. By mind there is body, speech, and mind equal space. Accumulated throughout the three times the stainless virtue existing from the beginning. Is dedicated to gathering the expanse of awakening. Having arrived at the state of knowledge of the victors with their children, the state of knowledge of the Sukhatas be totally perfected. The great stage is pervaded by the demonstration of the wheel of knowledge and liberation. May the holders of those stages, having perfected their activities, carry happiness to the world and Dharma to all migrating beings. And may yogins be satisfied with the glory of the ten virtues, having purified all the suffering of samsara, the six causes. May we quickly obtain the omniscience of complete Buddhahood. Depending on the force of the accumulated roots of virtue, arise from amazing connections of cause and condition, may the sentient beings of three times exist in samsara, having actualized the ultimate knowledge of their own awareness, perfecting all stages of primordial wisdom through the conduct of Samantabhadra Bodhisattva, abide in supreme space free of obscurations, without objectifying the meaning for benefit of others, according to the capacity of disciples, the reign of Dharma falls corresponding with their interests. Having ripened disciples in the state of the three Vajras, they obtain Buddhahood in the vast dimension of Buddhist Samantabhadra. In this life, the life that is conditioned and permanent empty, the constituents, the five elements, are complete as a Buddha field of five families. Having arisen the form of Guru Vodhyana and the Bardo, may all sentient beings led by those with one who has positive and negative connections immediately go to the Kachari abode having ripened and liberated the whole range of disciples, through many emanations, the appearances of one's own primordial wisdom, they all obtain the unsurpassed ultimate result. Sarmangalam, Sarmangalam, Sarmangalam. So that, that's it. Complete. Yeah, yeah. It's complete for now. So uh, I, I do want to say just a few more words about practice. If you want to really develop Tonglen, make sure that you practice with the right attitude. That list, it gives you the right perspective of the practice, not just jumping into um, um, uh, giving uh, and receiving. That's, that's, a, that's an error because you're, you're not doing it. You're doing it more as a tranquility meditation and you're doing is loving kindness. This is loving kindness and compassion boosted, boosted way up. Um, number two, this practice of breathing 21 breaths, which is also found in the Qigong tradition, it's found in many of the advanced systems for developing excellent tranquility and clarity of mind, is really worth practicing hour after hour after hour after hour. You will find that if you do this, not everybody, because some people have to do other things first. But for many of you, if you really practice 21 breaths and really feel the sensation and the natural filling in the belly, you will come to the, the, the dawning of non-conceptual experience You'll come to bliss. You'll come to um, a clarity and luminosity. Uh, it is a, it's, it's a really important practice. And I, I really recommend taking a weekend off and, and doing it uh, over and over and over and over again until you can actually spend an hour doing 21, 21, 21, 21. And eventually you'll see that if you do this over and over and over again, 
and you start to get very settled in your belly and your heart, uh, you will see that you'll be able to extend it to 50 and 60 and 70 and 80 and 100 and 200 without losing any concentration. And it's such a, a great basis for any kind of meditation. It really is. It's really, really worth doing. Standing, sitting, lying down, and getting very good at it. And the three signs are bliss, physical, mental bliss. Not far out. It can be. Just light. Clarity, luminous, spacious, feeling like the light bulb's gone on and the thoughts vanish. If you have those three and you begin to really feel your awareness, you're really getting the hang of it. And, and you can all do it. And it's worth practicing because then you'll be able to do the Tong Len and let the breath sit in your heart as it dissolves. And when it dissolves, you're gonna know what it's like to remove the afflictive states because the breath dissolves in the central channel and the mind rests in non-conceptual freedom for all. And there you have the Mahamudra and the Dzogchen. So. Now that's it. Okay. You're welcome. I've written uh, a commentary on that dedication aspiration that we uh, just said together. Uh, Misha, I believe, has a PDF, yes? Do you have a PDF of it? If you want a copy, and Sandra, if you want a copy of it, um, just ask Misha or Sandra for a, a PDF. And it's, it's all about aspiration and dedication. Vamos. Let's go.